Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to The China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me for today's episode is the competent and charismatic Carly Garner, acclaimed author, senior analyst, and broker over at DeCarly Trading. If you'd like to learn more about today's guest, make sure you check out DeCarlyTrading.com, where you can pick up one of the four trading books she's written on commodities and Forex. We'll have those links in the episode description. And if you'd like to reach out to us with any suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests, you can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com. Or you can join our free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. We'll have all those links in the episode description so you can peruse them at your convenience. But now that we've wasted enough time, let's get to know today's guest. Carly, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, but it's Monday, so there's plenty of time for things to go wrong. (laughs) Kind of a sleepy Monday too, right? It is. Yeah, it was. So you you are a commodities trader. Well, I'm a commodity broker. Um, and so I, yes, I mean, I do on the side do a little trading, but my bread and butter is uh, the brokerage industry and we provide uh, market research and commentary, trading ideas, that sort of thing to our clients and mm-hmm. guide them and hope the idea is, I mean, commodity trading is a really tough game. I bet. It's leveraged and it's not like stocks. Stocks and bonds are relatively unforgiving because they're investments. You can put money in and if you don't touch it for 20, 30 years, the odds are you're probably going to come out ahead. There's really, right, it's, right. that's how it works. So I, nothing's ever guaranteed, but there's a really, really good chance that's the case. In commodities, it's not like that. There's no income, there's no dividends or interest. It's pure speculation. And unlike stocks that generally go up over time, mm-hmm. commodities don't do that. If you look at a price, like look at a chart of crude oil, um, just since I've been in the business, when I got in the business in early 2000s, um, I think it was 2003. So that dates me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little I take bit. it back. I think it was 2004. <laughs> so we almost can just pretend years. 13. Yeah. So it's been a long time. So, but in my time, I've seen crude oil started around like $25, $30 a barrel. Mm-hmm. It went up to $150 a barrel. Then it came all the way back down to 30. And then it went up to 120. And then it came back down to. At one point, if you're talking about the front month, it even went negative. So, I mean, the point is we've seen prices in this massive $130, $150 range, and it's hit both sides a couple of times. So it's not if you just put your money in and forgot about it, you're not going to come out ahead, especially if you're talking about um, commodities are a little less convenient to trade than stocks. Mm-hmm. Stocks you can buy and hold forever. Commodities have... They're basically futures contracts, so they have expiration dates and you have to keep rolling and that rolling works against you over time. So it's just a lot more complicated. Now, people love to uh, talk about commodities and because it affects their everyday life. And some people do venture into the markets. It's not for everybody. So I'm not saying that everybody should get involved in commodity trading, but it's one of those things that um, 
for those that have the risk capital and have the understanding of how leverage works and things like that, it can potentially be lucrative, but it can also be, uh, it's very risky. So you could also lose yeah. a lot of money as well. I, I learned that the hard way. I've been, uh, I started my futures journey probably a year and a half, two years ago now. And okay. yeah, I've learned most of those lessons just uh, just trading ES. Uh, yeah. I have not tried to venture outside of that yet. <laughs> it's a tough game. It's a tough, for those, I mean, the, the thing is, it's kind of the, and this is true of almost anything in life. The people that have that managed to figure it out and do it mm -hmm. successfully do very well. Uh, they're the minority. The majority of people generally walk away with less than they they came into it with. So it's a tough. Right. Game. Well, I, I think a, I think a lot of people get sucked into the idea that it's a quick buck. Like it's always sold sure, to people sure. as a get rich quick type scheme. And I think the people who do make it are the ones that realize that hey, no, this is a full time job. If you want to be successful, you have to work harder than. 90% of the people trying to do this. Yep. No guarantees whatsoever. And you're right. It, this, I, trust me, you're absolutely right. This business attracts get rich quick. And uh, I, we, I get a lot of people that kind of assume, you know, they watch the video on the internet and they think if they open an account, um, they can just easily make 20, 30, 40% a year. Sometimes, right. sometimes right. their numbers are higher. And I try to explain <laughs> to them. The first thing I always bring up is Bernie Madoff. He literally was running a Ponzi scheme because he couldn't find a way to make 10% a year, but people were scrambling to give him money to make 10% right. a year. So why would we think we could make 30, 40, 50% when, you know, it's basically virtually impossible to do that sort of stuff. Um, you won't hear that from most people. Most people are going <laughs> to try to sell you and tell you it's easy, but it's not. Well, that's one thing I noticed uh, right on the, the headline of your brokerage when I was doing my research is uh, a lot of focus on the honesty with the customer service. And uh, it's kind of refreshing to see something like that. Yeah, we. I mean, this being a broker is really, um, it's an interesting position because the last thing we want to do is have uncomfortable conversations with people. So we want to make sure they mm -hmm. know exactly what they're getting into before they do it as opposed to after. And so that's... Right. That's our goal. It's a, it's a win-win for everybody. I mean, it's probably not the way to make the most money, but <laughs> it's the way to sleep at night and feel like exactly. you're giving somebody value. <laughs> exactly. I feel like we might have gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves. I kind of want to okay. talk a little bit how you got into uh, commodities to begin with. Did you start with commodities tradings or did you uh, kind of bounce around, like take the natural progression from like stocks to options, then futures? You could say it was a natural progression, but I, I did, uh, I kind of did the scenic route in college. It took me a while to figure out what exactly I wanted to do. Uh, mm. it, towards the end of, uh, I switched majors a couple of times. My originally I wanted to be physical therapist, and then I realized that actually involves like touching strangers, and that's not my thing. So, <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> so I said nope. Uh, so then I switched to accounting because my mom mentioned that might be fun, and it was absolutely not fun. It was the opposite of fun. So I ended up getting my a degree in accounting, but I hated it from day one. So I knew I needed to do something else. So then I ended up getting another degree in finance. And that was uh, what really was interesting to me. I originally wanted to be a stockbroker. That was kind of the goal. I did an internship mm -hmm. towards the end of my college career. And then I realized I kind of hate that as well. So I was just grasping really? at straws, didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, it may have just been where I was. I mean, the the oh, basically okay. it was selling loaded mutual funds and that kind of thing and it just i'm not yeah. a salesman and it's hard to sell something that people can you know they could do that by just buying a vanguard fund they don't need to pay a load and anyway yeah um so i just kind of was randomly looking for something to, to do and there was a commodity broker here in town and so i decided to give it a shot and um you know, it's something that keeps you interested every day. Every day is different. It's there's the highs are really high. The lows are really, really low. But, you know, I, I never get bored. And so I love it. So um, when I look at the name DeCarly and then I talk to you, Carly, like, were you one of the founders of this brokerage or did they bring you on? That's just a happy coincidence. Nope. It's, uh, it was, it was planned. So um, basically we opened as a two man shop. The other, uh, the partner in the business is Tracy DiCarlo, her last name and my first name. If you put it together, that's how we got to Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. I didn't want to assume though. <laughs> so what were some of the hurdles uh, 
getting that that business up and going because i've talked to some people about like trying to start their own funds and i've heard that mm -hmm. that is a huge pain in the butt i can only imagine what goes into actually starting a brokerage yeah it i mean it's not easy i'll i'll tell you that but i will say it probably was easier in 2008 when we did it than it is mm -hmm. now because things okay. have gone like the business has gone so um self-directed and electronic it's probably it would probably be really hard for a startup now so luckily we got in before a lot of that uh a lot of the the shift mm -hmm. that said i just mentioned we opened in 2008 it was august of 2008 it was like a couple months before the financial crisis oh yes <laughs> so, uh, yeah i remember <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little challenging um but i mean our goal's always been the same we've we've seen in in this industry, honestly, most brokers fail because it's they come in with the wrong attitude. They're trying to get rich quick or they're trying to sell, get rich quick, and that just doesn't work mm -hmm. in the long run. And so we came in with a very long uh, time horizon and a long view on how, mm -hmm. how we wanted things to work. And basically the idea is keep your expenses as low as humanly possible. So no fancy uh, marble floors, you know, in the penthouse right, office right. in Chicago, that kind of stuff. We kept it really slim and just built it slowly and it's worked out. So what is the difference then, like on the broker side versus like on the trader side? Like what, what is, like, how does that change for you? Well, sure. So we, I mean, um, as a, as a broker, we basically make money as people trade. So we, every time somebody trades, we get a piece of the commission. Um, some will say, yeah, well, it must be nice being a broker because you make money whether your clients make money or not. And that is true to a degree. But the reality is like, if we want to be in business for any, any length of time, we have to make sure our clients are happy and clients that are losing a lot of money aren't necessarily happy. So it's in our best interest to make sure that they have all the tools they need, have all the information they need to hopefully get them in the right direction. That said, I mean, the last two or three years in commodities have just been just extremely wild. Mm -hmm. Most people will, will kind of on the surface assume because crude oil has had some really big rallies and some really, you know, some volatility, right. that that means everybody must be making a ton of money that's trading commodities. And it's actually probably the opposite is true. Because there are so many unexpected things and the markets got so dysfunctional uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine, there was a mass amount of dysfunction and anybody that was on the wrong side of it or even on the right side, but just with the wrong strategy got completely run over. Um, and what I mean by that is I'll give you an example. When that occurred, when Russia invaded Ukraine, mm -hmm. the wheat market uh, went limit up which if some of your yeah. listeners may not understand what limit is. Big big green boner candle, I think is what we call that. Okay, right, <laughs> exactly, yes. So commodities can, some commodities, not all, but some commodities have a daily price limit, how much they can go up or down in a single trading session. And what happened with wheat is, this is kind of my opinion, I'm kind of speculating, but just I've been following the markets long enough to know that this wasn't natural what happened. Mm -hmm. So when Russia invaded Ukraine, the story was uh, the world was going to be short wheat because a lot of Ukraine's known as the breadbasket right. and blah, blah, blah. Every, you know, a lot of wheat is produced there. Um, and all of those things were true and wheat prices needed to go up. However, what happened was in this new day and age that we're living in, a lot of people have access to commodity ETFs. There's a commodity ETF uh, oh. that's... I, I'm not going to, I think the symbol is W-E-A-T, so it's basically wheat, but it's an ETF. And what they do is they take money from people that are buying the ETF, and then they put that into the futures markets. Well, when you have just a ridiculous number of traders buying this ETF all at the exact same time, that money has to go by the perspective of the ETF says that money has to go to the futures markets within mm -hmm. a period of time. So basically in a nutshell to make, just to simplify, there was way too much money coming into the market yep. that the market couldn't absorb it. And what was happening is every single day we were hitting price limits, but those price limits were getting hit after like literally 500 or a thousand contracts were traded. It wasn't like 20,000 contracts were being traded and then it went at limit. So it was only a handful of people that were able oh. to buy. So anyone that was caught short couldn't get out. Anyone that wanted to be long couldn't get in. Oh my goodness. It was just a complete nightmare. And so we had recommended a strategy to our clients where we were 
we were trading options and it was actually a bullish strategy. The idea is we bought a call option and we, and then we sold two calls above it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we were naked one call that naked call was way above the market at prices that hadn't been seen in like 10 or 12 years at that point. Mm -hmm. And of course they were seen very quickly given with all this thing. So we were starting to take heat on those and we bought futures against them. So on paper, that trade should have had zero upside risk at all because we were naked a call, but then we bought a futures contract against it. Mm -hmm. Mathematically, we should have zero risk. But what happened was the futures price could only go up 75 cents a day, according to the exchange, but the short call options could go up an unlimited amount. Oh. So we were actually losing money on a strategy that should have had zero risk. In fact, not just losing money, but like shredding money every day. <laughs> oh so my goodness. Those kinds of really crazy. I'm not trying to scare anyone. I'm just trying to explain like that was such a dysfunctional time. And we had the same thing during COVID. We had with the COVID shutdown, we had the same kind of fiasco where things that should never happen happened. And unfortunately, if you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, you probably get your head cut off. And so the last two or three years for commodities, although they've been spectacular in that we've had some really big rallies and a lot of volatility, they've also been pretty treacherous if you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. That that sounds about right. Uh, what is the reason for the the price limits on the commodities? Is that just because they're lower liquidity and just to help stabilize? Is it kind of like the circuit breakers on like a stock on the exchanges? Mm -hmm. They are circuit breakers and that is the idea behind them. I personally, uh, this is my opinion, I wish we did not have limit price limits. I think it actually adds to the volatility because if once a market goes locked limit and you can't trade it, it it interferes with the ability of market participants to rationally think about right. uh, wow. things and they start to panic. And when humans panic, there's literally no limit to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to what might happen. <laughs> and that's what happens every, like in that wheat situation I just talked about, every day it would go locked limit and people would get more and more scared because they couldn't get out of their shorts or, you know, maybe they're uh, a, some sort of producer that needs to buy wheat in the market and they're in the, the right. prices are going up and they can't hedge. I mean, it could be all kinds of things, but it breeds a lot of panic. I'm just not a fan of price move uh, limits. Maybe like a some sort. Uh, this is just kind of off the cuff, but maybe like a compromise would be um, temporary price limits. Like if 75 cents is the limit, maybe stop it for 20, 30 minutes, let people catch their breath, and then kind of expand it on that day. The exchange does expand limits, but they wait until the next day to do it, or mm. maybe even a couple days later. And by that time, there's just too much damage, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems kind of silly to shut everything down, like on the day. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, they should just, I think that it's like ripping a Band-Aid off. If you just let it go, it's going to be really nasty for a short amount right. of time, but it'll work itself out. Um, but they don't listen to me, but my opinion doesn't matter. So <laughs> well, you got, it is what it you've is. got a, more clout than we do, <laughs> but I'll, I'll stand behind you. Well, well, thank you. And while we're at it, if we're going to complain about stuff, I also am not a huge fan of 24-hour markets for, um, I'm honestly, almost anything. Maybe the S&P and treasuries make sense to trade 24 hours on the futures. Mm -hmm. But what we see sometimes in some of the commodities is the algos just run wild in the middle of the night because there's not a lot of liquidity and they can push things around. Uh, I can honestly say the the worst part of being a broker is um, seeing people lose out, lose like run out of money before the market goes the intended direction. Right. And I see this happen overnight all the time. So in other words, uh, sadly, over leveraged traders that have positions on, you know, throughout the evenings, a lot of times they got, they get blown out because they literally just run out of money and they can't wire overnight. There's nothing they can do. So they have to get out of their position and I'm not kidding you. I don't know what it is, but it's like almost always once that happens, the market turns around and then just goes the other way. So it's really hard to watch. <laughs> I, I actually make it a point in my trading journal to write down when I get the breaks happen in my favor. Like even today, I think I got filled on a top ticket for a take profit. So like make a note, star Perfect. that, put that in the journal. It doesn't always happen against me. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an example where it worked in my favor. Yeah. All right. But yes, uh, uh, it does always feel like when the worst that can happen always seems to happen, doesn't it? It does feel that way. Yeah. So you talked a lot about wheat. Um, 
gold is uh, another commodity, right? Um, that's one that right. you probably pay a lot of attention to. We do. Absolutely. Is gold still like the go-to for uh, inflation hedging or has that kind of uh, um, that kind of not really the case anymore? The thing about gold is it's a really weird asset. So uh, just like any other, I mean, gold isn't something we eat. We don't consume it. We don't use it to run our cars like some of the other commodities. So uh, the only reason we don't use gold for anything really i mean a little bit of manufacturing but not much it's one of those assets it's kind of like baseball cards like it only has value because we say it does <laughs> but other than that it kind of right. doesn't or money <laughs> yeah exactly i mean but it does the thing about gold is it's probably like if you pull up uh some charts and compare it to the stock market it's not a very good uh, you know some people assume well if the stock market goes south I want to own gold because gold will go up. It really doesn't always work like that. In fact, most of the time it doesn't. Right. Um, same with inflation. Just because there's inflation. To, I mean, look at last year. Inflation was off the charts and gold just couldn't get out of its own way. It just melted down most of the year. That's exactly why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. It's not very good <laughs> inflation. But what it, it what it does do successfully is it's a diversifier. So it's just one more asset to uh, have you know, a little bit in your portfolio to, to kind of, so it's not correlated with everything else. That's what it is. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause when I heard you talking about the, the, the way commodities act and like you, you mentioned, like the oil is the example, like you can't just buy some oil and then sit on it for 20 right. years. And it seems like gold should fall into that same bucket, but you hear a lot of those gold bugs. They come out every <laughs> 10 years or so. It seems like yeah. they're trying to convince everyone to bury a bunch in their backyard. Yeah. It's, it's like that. I, and you you get all the, there's, it's an industry as well, um, to be hundred yep. percent honest. I mean, you see the TV commercials and the, you know, the, the shops <laughs> yes. that'll, it'll buy your gold. It's an industry and every, you know, there's a lot of people that make a living on it. So it's going to continue to be like that. But the thing about gold is, um, uh, in my opinion, it's one of those things that if you, if, and when it corrects really sharply, it's a good it's probably a good time to put something on and so that you have a portfolio diversifier. Other than that, um, it's just pure speculation. So, I mean, just imagine if you were someone that bought in 2011 when gold was at 2000 or right. you know, a little above, you'd barely, you'd basically barely be getting your money back. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And it doesn't hold dividends. And one of the reasons gold sold off so sharply last year is it, gold doesn't pay dividends. So if you're holding it, that's cash that's not earning you anything. It's just pure diversifier. But on the flip side, if you did the same thing with treasuries, you could at least earn some some yield. And so uh, as treasury yields went up, gold went down because it just makes little, less sense to hold gold in that type of an environment. But I, I do, believe it or not, even though I've said all of these negative things about gold, I actually do believe we're really... Uh, setting the stage up for a big breakout here in the next handful of months. And the reason I say that is um, gold had every reason to go up last year. Stock market struggled, inflation, right. global uh, political turmoil, all of those things. And yet it did, it absolutely did not go up. It did the opposite. And so it just leaves all of those things probably need to be priced in. Now that the U S dollars corrected sharply um, now mm -hmm. that Things have normalized on the interest rate front. I think it just kind of will allow gold to break up above its all-time highs and maybe make a run. I'm not someone that's talking about. You know, you'll hear crazy numbers out there, four thousand, five thousand. I don't think. Yeah. I don't. I'm not looking for that. But I would not be shocked to see twenty-five hundred, twenty-six hundred. So I think those are definitely doable. That's that's funny. A lot of people have some really unrealistic expectations oh. when they're trying to set up their trades. Yes, they do. I think that's probably one of the things I had to correct first in order to actually start turning a profit. Yeah. It's, like, um, it's fun to get those home runs, but for sure. the base hits are what add up. Yeah. And that's the thing. You don't want to be the guy holding out for you know, sitting on a huge profit and holding out for the last you know, 10% or whatever and then giving it all back. Oh God, yeah. And that happens a lot. Uh, I agree with you. It's better to be, yeah. Somebody mentioned something like, what's the what's the risk to the reward? Like when you're at 95% of like your expected mm -hmm. trade. Right. What are you risking to hold off for that extra little 5% bump? Right. And most of the times it's not really worth it. No, it's it's not. 
we we have a lot of option sellers on our books because we're not very many brokerages allow option selling anymore. There's reasons for it. There's some good reasons, but mo- some bad reasons also. Option selling is absolutely not for everybody, and there's it's a it's an art, not a science. But the only reason I mention it is if you sell an option, you have unlimited risk for limited reward. But the the benefit, the reason people do it is the the odds of the reward are pretty good. Like you're yes. when you sell options, you're the odds are in your favor. Uh, occasionally you'll get hammered. You know, you'd be in the wrong place at the wrong time. But in the long run, the odds are in your favor. However, I see a lot of people that will sell an option. I'm, this is totally hypothetical. I'm just throwing numbers out there. They might sell an option for $800 and now it's only worth like $10 and they won't buy it back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I try to explain to them, you still have unlimited risk. You have unlimited risk for $10. It's just not worth it. But for some reason, people have a hard time um, doing that. And I wish they wouldn't. I like we, we tend to kind of, not encouraged. That's not the right word. We do cater to option sellers. We make sure they have low margins and everything they need Mm -hmm. to do what they need to do, assuming it's um, reasonable risk-wise. I mean, we don't want them putting us out of business either, but we um, are very diligent in in trying to encourage them to buy an option back. Like if you've sold an option and it's lost 70% of its value, Mm-hmm. Or anywhere, somewhere in that vicinity, it's almost always a good idea to just pull up in, get to the sidelines, because the longer you have your risk out there, the more, uh, the the bigger the chance of you just being somewhere you don't want to be. Right, so. right. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, are you talking about options like the standard ones, or like on regular stocks? Or are you talking about options on the commodities? Options on commodities. Interesting. So we, yeah, so we only deal on futures and options on futures. So we have. Um, option sellers like we do offer like like you mentioned earlier the e-mini s&p so that's mm-hmm. a futures contract so we have clients that sell options on that uh, we have clients that sell options in oil gold grains you name it um, and we do a lot of like the recommendations that we generally put out to our clients and we put ideas out we don't we're not necessarily saying everybody should do this but it's a lot kind of an educational experience as well Mm -hmm. and some of them act on it some of them don't but most of them are some sort of option spread that either collects premium or um, at least collects enough to pay for any long options that we're buying i mean it depends on the situation but we so we don't we aren't scared of having that the risk out there of a short option but Mm -hmm. i want to reiterate it's not for everybody some people just can't handle it uh, it can get stressful at times and it can get frustrating because sometimes your um, your risk reward seems to be a little skewed. But the idea is if you're participating in that strategy, you have to have a big enough account and you have to have nerves of steel to uh, to, to write it out. Because right. more often than not, like it, the odds are in your favor. So if you just kind of play out the strategy, usually it'll it'll come back a little for you. But not for everybody, for sure. Well, and then you also have that 3% of the time that you have to be ready to to cut because that sure. can, that could wipe you out too. It can wipe you out in a day. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, a, that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, you could uh, do well for two or three years and then just literally one day or two days can take it all back. So you have to be very careful. Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen. And I'm pleased to announce that she's back fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. So what is the benefit of options on commodities? Because like to me, an options product is like a leveraged way of investing in a, you know what you think is going to happen in the future on whatever the product mm-hmm. is. Or it's a, a, a way of like giving yourself some insurance uh, for, in case it right. moves against you. 
but a futures contract is kind of the same thing already, isn't it? It is, but the so the advantages and disadvantages of trading options on futures are similar to what they are in stocks, but the difference is like options on futures are leveraged products on top of leveraged products. <laughs> right. So it can be, um, I mean, I'll just give you like a, just a random example. Okay. One of our first clients way back, you know, in the 2008, during the financial crisis, he took a $10,000 account. He bought a bunch of uh, E-mini S&P puts. His $10,000 account in roughly two weeks, I might, I mean, give or take a couple of days, but this is the general idea, went from 10000 to half a million dollars. Oh my God. So that's what the leverage can do for you. The same person, though, gave it all back in the next two weeks. Yeah. So. That's how, like, you if if you're right, you can just it's unbelievable, but it's unbelievable in both directions. So, is it the same though uh, with like an option where you're only risking the premium if you're purchasing them? Um, if you're, I'm sorry, repeat that. So, like, if I buy an S and P or SPY put, I'm only risking the premium. Oh, yeah. Uh, if I'm wrong, is it the same? Um, it is. is it the same with the commodities options then too. It is. Um, however, like you are, it's a little different in the way that the when it goes into expiration. So, commodity mm. options at expiration, if they're in the money, they're automatically exercised into a futures contract. Okay. So it's possible if you buy an option and you just kind of don't forget about it and don't look at it and you happen to get exercised, it's possible you lose more than what you thought you were going to lose because now you're in a futures contract with unlimited risk. Right. But if you're paying attention, then no, you could only, you only can yeah, lose yeah. what you pay. I mean, that can happen to you yeah. too uh, with options yeah. and regular sure. equities too. Yep. Absolutely. So as long as you're paying attention, yes, whatever you pay for that options, what you can lose. Sure. Uh, but yeah, actually you did, you did ask about advantages. So I'm just going to give you just a little spiel. Okay. So for someone that does want to get involved in option trading and maybe even wants to sell premium again, I'm not saying everybody should, it's a, it's not for everybody with all that said, the margins tend to be a little lower in, uh, options on futures. It depends on the product and it depends on the broker. So that's, that's not a blanket statement. Um, but the, the biggest advantages are they're taxed at a lower rate. So if you are trading profitably and you may, may very well not be, but if you are, the tax rate on your commodity account is going to be a lot lower than it is in your stock account. Mm, okay. It's a 640 blend between long-term and short-term. Um, also the options trade 23 hours a day in most markets. So I just got done telling you, I don't lo love that yeah, idea, I know, but, but it, is, nice, it is nice, nice thing is. <laughs> Yeah, you have market access. So if something crazy happens in the middle of the night, you could take action. You could buy your option back. You could trade a future against it, whatever you want to do. Anyway, so hmm. it's there's some there are some advantages to to trading options on futures for you know for anybody that wants to do that sort of thing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I just I never knew. I think it just opened a whole new world up. I'm not probably gonna fall into a <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, do you guys have? Now you know. <laughs> do you have anything on your website uh, that kind of talks a little bit more about like how they work? We do. So um, the best, honestly, the best resource is my book. Uh, I wrote a book that came out about three years ago. It's called Trading Commodity Options with Creativity, and it covers literally everything you, even things you didn't think you ever wanted to know about options. It, it's in there. <laughs> and there's some horror stories and there's some good stories too. But uh, so that's the best place. But you can get a a lot of that information for free on our website. So DeCarly Trading has some articles. There's some videos on there that will kind of get your feet wet. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it looks like you have a whole learning section that has a lot of uh, yeah. awesome content on there. And you also write a newsletter yeah. too. I do. Um, so the newsletters are free to our brokerage clients, but you can sign up for a trial and we'll give you like 45 days to kind of, so you can kind of see oh, wow. what we're doing. That's an extensive yeah. trial. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not, we probably we probably put out two three newsletters a week mm -hmm. so um yeah it gives you a good good idea well it, it really speaks to the long game that you talked about too when you do a seven-day trial right. like what, are you really going to know <laughs> whether this information is right. useful or helpful like 45 that days you really know <laughs> yeah you either know to just forget about us and delete us from your contact list or open an account so that's the goal well judging from this conversation i'm guessing most people stick around um, you know, actually, I mean, we've, we've 
not to toot our own horn, but we do pretty well. But the interesting thing is it usually takes people uh, years to open an account. Like they'll, they'll be around consuming our educational content, asking questions. And then it's not something that happens in a week or two. It's in usually not even a month or two. It's usually a year or two. I wonder why that is (laughs) like just the, the fear. Yeah, I think that commodities are scary. And then if honestly, if you've read any of my books, it's literally a huge disclosure. <laughs> so, so I mean, it takes them a little while to get comfortable. Um, I mean, but I mean, you can still play stops, and if you have good risk manage or risk controls, I feel like you can you can mitigate a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely, you can absolutely. A lot of it is uh, it's how you approach the markets, and the thing is, there the markets can be anything that anyone wants them to be. Mm-hmm. So, if you want it to be your you know, your entertainment and you're not worried about losing money. It can be that. And believe me, there are people out there that are like that. They're just, they just like the action. Oh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, And then, but if you're looking for, let's say a way to diversify your portfolio or hedge your portfolio, or just do something a little different and speculate, like uh, try to lower the leverage, you know, take, I'll talk about this in a minute, but you can actually take leverage out of the markets by overfunding your account. Wait, what? So if you're looking to take it slow, you can you can do that. Most people choose the fast way, and that's where, where they get in trouble. They're either trading too much, or they're taking on too much leverage, or they or they just underestimate the risk. That happens too, because to be honest, like I mentioned, just in the last couple of years, the risks what we thought were the risks suddenly are we're just starting points. <laughs> so I'll I'll give you an example. There's there was a CTA. I'm not going to mention any names, but it was a pretty big shop and they were an option selling shop in 2018 they blew up their whole book of business in fact they took most of their clients not only lost everything that they had in the accounts but they also lost more than that so like what for example we know yeah we know of some clients (laughs) that had hundreds of thousands of dollars on deposit in their account and literally it happened in a short amount of time i mean probably a week or two weeks at the very most but i think it's probably more like a week Um, their account balances went from like positive hundreds of thousands to negative hundreds of thousands. So it was a really, really big swing. Uh, and they, they ended up in situations where they owed the brokerage money, but the, the, were they actually underwater on their positions or was this just the broker? Yes, they were, they were massively underwater on the positions. Uh, Um, and the reason, like it was, I, it was a big operation. They were selling a lot of options at the same strike prices in illiquid markets. Mm. And so what happened was a temporary price spike. It happened to be natural gas and crude oil. So they were short natural gas calls and they were short crude oil puts. And both positions went sharply against the, them right. simultaneously. And when they went to the start, you know, there was really nobody to take the other side to buy back those options. So there was like just this huge price vacuum. Uh, and the reason I bring it up is if you look at a chart of like 2018 when that occurred, that actually was, it seemed like a big move at the time. But now after we've lived through like 2020 and 2022, that was literally like a blip. It, I mean, huh. it was a whole lot of nothing. So it's hard, it's hard for me to look back and think that a whole CTA or like a giant fund blew out on that when uh, just a few years later, those kinds of moves were seen like intraday. So yeah, I'm looking at the chart right now. Like, um, yeah. I mean, that looks impressive. If you look at everything to the left, you look to the right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you can see like just how wild. So what we saw like in natural gas in the last couple of years is something i thought I would never, ever see. But sure enough, we saw it like just every day. It was complete chaos. So Good Lord. Yeah. Uh, how much of that is because of the what's going on in Ukraine? I assume most of it. Is there other factors? Yeah. So it started like if you're looking at natural gas, that, that big uh, rally started in 2021. So it started yeah. before the Ukraine stuff. But the Ukraine like exacerbated it. And then we had, you know, obviously Europe was uh going to bypass russian net gas and blah blah anyways it just all fed on itself and one of the things that contributed to it as well and that people don't understand is they call it a gamma squeeze mm-hmm. so when a lot of speculators buy call options above the market the market makers that are selling those call options to them have unlimited risk and so what they do is they buy futures contracts to hedge themselves 
But if a market just kind of melts higher, which is what we saw like in 2022 uh, in natural gas. I saw it with GameStop too, I think something similar. Yeah, yeah, exact same thing. Exact same thing. So the market makers are forced or not even market makers, even other speculators that might've sold options, they're all forced to buy futures and it just feeds on itself because people mm-hmm. start running out of money and there's margin calls and they're panicking and it gets out of hand. And so you, I'm glad you mentioned that. So basically natural gas became GameStop for a little while is what happened. It's really interesting. Is, I don't know if you ever, you ever watched that show, Madam Secretary? I haven't, no. Okay, uh, this is going to seem like it's completely out of left field, but we're just talking about Ukraine and <laughs> natural gas and looking like, when I look at this, I wonder if somebody maybe knew something beforehand. Uh, but watching that Madam Secretary, it came out in like 2018 and they're talking about uh-huh. a war in Russia with Ukraine like almost wow. like they, uh, there's a lot of events on there that they predicted. It seemed like just going back and watching it now, huh. well, I'm going to have to go back and look at the timeline because uh, hopefully I'm not conflating yeah, it, odd. but it's just super weird to see that. It is weird. Or maybe politicians watched that and got ideas and like, <laughs> Oh no, I don't even want to I mean, think about that. <laughs> oh, I hope that's I'm not, not I mean, everything's on the table at this point. Things have been so crazy. I wouldn't rule anything out. <laughs> All right, let me uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. Let me go back to the education portion. You mentioned going to school and college. Were you able to learn anything about trading through school, like any of the actual courses that you took, or was that all kind of had to be like with a mentor and school of hard knocks, like do? So in college, like in my finance classes, you learn the very basics, like mm-hmm. what's a call option, what's a put option, what's a futures contract, what's a stock. So you learn the basics, but uh, it, I don't think those types of classes in any way, shape, or form prepare people for the markets. I mean, the markets, when I let, when I graduated from college, I expected everything to be explainable by math and an equation and logic. <laughs> and that's like literally just the, complete the opposite, opposite. Yeah. of what, yeah, what reality is. I don't know. I think maybe um, as markets have become more electronic and more publicly or no more accessible to the public. I think that the emotional factor has played a bigger part. So, I mean, maybe 30, 40 years ago, they were probably a little more logical, but but I don't know. In today's world, it's logic has nothing to do with it. Equations have, you know, you can plug any numbers you want into an equation. It's literally meaningless. (laughs) So um, no, you don't learn that stuff. Well, it's more like, I always think of it more like um, quantum mechanics as opposed to like, you know, Newton, Newtonian gravity. Like one is set equations that are true no matter what. And the other one is more of like a string of possibilities where just about everything is possible, but varying degrees of probability. I like that. Thank you. Um, I did talk to somebody who did learn about trading futures in college, but he did it in a way that I never would have expected. And it was actually through uh, like a farming course because they have to learn it in order to hedge or to be like, it's, they teach them how to like purchase and trade products. So that way they can actually like get their products out, you know, onto market. Mm -hmm. It was the last place I would have thought that they'd be talking about how to learn how to trade commodities was, was there. That's actually. That is probably a very valuable course for, um, we deal, we deal in, uh, with farmers a lot, mm-hmm. farmers or ranchers, um, that are, you know, obviously hedging their price risk. Unfortunately, I think that the majority of that community don't hedge at all, which, I, which is generally not a good idea because mm-hmm. in, in the industry, they're called cash market speculators because they're basically just, uh, letting it ride to see what, you know, what the, <laughs> right. the market will give them. And I can see why they would want to do that because humans are optimistic and they always think they're whatever it is they're producing is more valuable than, you know, yeah. the general market thinks it is. And so that's, it's just human nature. Um, but I can, I can say that it's hedging is a very, very valuable quality for, for farmers because I mean, you can imagine, just look at the price of wheat over the last you know, you're <laughs> right. down from $13 down to six fifty. So anybody that was, and I've, I've talked to some farmers that were unhedged and I mean, the mindset becomes uh pretty, I mean, it, it's, we're all, we're all wired the same. I, like I if, bet you I can walk you right through the thought process. It was uh, it's going up. Why would I cap my upside? Then it's coming back down. Exactly. I'll cap my upside when it gets back to this price. Yeah. And then it gets back to that price. Right. And you think, oh, it's going up. Why would I cap my price? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what happens because there again, we're human. That's yep. how we think. Yep. 
And if you didn't, you know, if you didn't sell at 10, you're in the back of your mind, you're like, well, I didn't sell at 10. I'm not selling at six. And then you get to a point where you literally have to save the farm. So you have yeah. to sell it, whatever. And so that's a, it's just a really vicious cycle. Um, we've worked with some farmers that are very diligent in hedging. Like they're almost fully hedged all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, you would think, you know, well, that's too bad. They missed out on all the fun last year, but the reality is. They don't want that. Yep. Would they? Nope. Yeah. And they, no, because they, I mean, they know their budget. They know how much they need to make and where their profit zones are. And they just keep going. Mm -hmm. And honestly, uh, good for them. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yeah. yeah. It's not the sexy way to do it. It's not the fun no, way to it's do not it. as exciting. <laughs> but exactly. It's the way to continue doing it tomorrow. <laughs> Correct. Yes. All right. Um, I noticed that you spend a lot of time uh, on Jim Cramer's show. I'm curious okay. how that friendship uh, got struck. Um. So Jim used to own the street. He founded thestreet.com. Yep. And I started writing for the streets. Sheesh. Well, 13 years ago, probably. Mm -hmm. Um. He. He uh, ran across a couple of my articles and thought it was, they were interesting. And so we started communicating um, and he started asking me to write content for the show, like the charting segments. And I think I've been, I think we've been doing that for about 11 or 12 years now. Oh, so, wow. It's been that long. How have I, I mean, yeah, I don't really watch, long, long I don't really watch a whole lot of the media just because I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't trust oh. anybody. <laughs> I sure. prefer to I have my it. own opinions. Uh, and that's, that's good. Honestly, it's information overload if you're getting yes. stuff from all sides. Um, but yeah, we, I've been working with Jim for a long, long time. And I know some people have strong opinions about him. Some I, I was going to ask if he wanted to debunk some of those. <laughs> some very good, some very bad. Honestly, <laughs> I have never, he has been so good to me. He is like literally of all the people I've met in my life, he's in the top, like probably the top three of just high quality people. He's super humble. Really? He's very, very, very nice, and he's very generous. People don't get that by watching the show, but that those are facts. Well, I mean, and you host your own show. You know there's a persona that you have to kind of put on and lean yeah. into, and I'm sure a lot of that is uh, in his case. Uh, but the other thing I always liked about him, and even though I've given him a lot of flack over the years, um, he is he was the only person who ever stood up and like answered the call when uh, John Stewart was complaining about the the banking crisis jim kramer was the mm -hmm. only guy that showed up on that show to come and talk about how it went wrong and the part he played in it yeah and yeah. that that's pretty big it's not easy to do he's a stand-up guy he is um and he he'll admit when he's wrong and the thing is people also have to realize like he does a show every day for an hour mm -hmm. so anybody that's ever done live tv first of all it's really hard i do it for in three minute segments at a time and i always say dumb stuff and afterwards i'm like wow why did i say that because it's really hard it's hard mm -hmm. uh you just things come out of your mouth because you don't want you know there's silence and you know there's not supposed to be silence so you just have diarrhea of the mouth yep. also you're gonna if you're on tv every day for an hour you're gonna say you're gonna be wrong you're, you know none of us can see the future it is what it is but i can tell you he uh, nobody works harder and nobody cares more. And I'm not just saying that it's absolutely true. All right. I got one last question and I, okay. I will, uh, I will take to heart what you said and I will be a lot kinder in my, <laughs> in what I say going forward. <laughs> um, All right. last question that I have for you then, which movie do you think gets the most right about trading commodities? Like what's your go-to to show people what you do? <laughs> Uh, I always refer to trading places. Just it's my favorite. I, I was um, hoping that. I don't know if that's the most. Real, I don't, that's probably not the most realistic because they make it seem like we're all riding in Bentleys with chauffeurs. But and that's absolutely not true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's a really great movie. So. That's funny. Oh, that was the one I actually had picked too. Was, <laughs> all right. What are the other good ones? What is another good stock market movie out there? Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, that one's pretty interesting. And that one, I hate to say it, but that there's a lot of truth to that. There definitely are some. That one's the scary truth, though. It's scary. Yeah, yeah. there's some yeah. environments like that. I've I've never worked in places like that, but I've been to like Christmas parties, industry Christmas parties in like Chicago, and mm -hmm. I'm telling you, it, some of them are <laughs> they're wild. A lot of quails. It was, was eye-opening. So. <laughs> All right. Um. 
apparently this has been a lot of fun. I'm super glad that that Eric was able to to introduce us. Um, I'm gonna have to probably try to bring you on. Maybe we'll have to do some more deeper dives into sure. to commodities going forward. Yes, it was fun. Thank you for having me. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, leave the listeners with before we wrap up here? Uh, no, I think we covered everything. I mean, if you're interested in, in learning more, I already mentioned uh, decarlytrading.com has a lot of educational material. Um, you can sign up for a free newsletter and see if it has if you have any interest at all. But even if you don't want to trade commodities or don't care about the commodity markets, if you're interested in Las Vegas or Beagles, I post a lot of stuff on Twitter. So check me out on Twitter. Oh, I forgot. I was going to give you crap about being a Knights fan. <laughs> oh, they man, Saturday was painful. Oof. Uh, it's, uh, it's so it's such a tough one because I'm a Coyotes fan. Oh, <laughs> and that's where my hatred comes from is you don't get a new yeah. team and you get to go right to the Stanley Cup final. That's such crap. Oh, <laughs> gotta, that was you, that was so fun. You have to languish <laughs> around in the expansion jail for three years minimum. Yeah, <laughs> and now I Seattle's gotta admit, doing I mean, it. Ugh. We're spoiled. You know, the NHL's good at expansion teams. If you look at other leagues, they basically spend 15 years at the bottom of the barrel. Well, that's so. how it used to be. They changed it uh, yeah. for Vegas. And Vegas, when they put their front office team together, they just nailed it. <laughs> they did, yeah. So, know. yeah, it's been fun. I can't complain. Hopefully, sorry. Hopefully my team sorry, will. Well, sorry. my team is on its way up, I, I think. We've been saying that for 20 <laughs> years, but, you know, yeah. next year is a new day. <laughs> All right, before we dive off the rails completely into a bunch of hockey talk, we're going to have to go ahead and say goodbye and, and wrap this episode up. I'd like to say thanks to everyone who stuck around to the end, and thank you very much, Carly, for for coming in. The examples that you shared and the, the way you explained things made just very clear, concise, great information. I hope everybody checks out thecarlytrading.com. Uh, we'll also have your socials in there if people want to follow you and links to the four books that you've written. Uh, you can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. We'll be back soon with another exciting episode, but until then, share this episode with your friends like it's an advanced copy of the USDA's monthly orange crop report. Take care. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.